Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from a very special weekend in the life of Hope Church. This weekend, Pastor Vance preaches his final sermon as senior pastor of Hope Church. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. If you have been at Hope for any length of time at all, you've heard me tell a story. It's a story that usually begins with this line. In September of 1999, God interrupted my life. If you've heard that story before, let me see your hand. Yeah, that most of you can tell that story. You've heard it so many times. That story that is the story of God's call on my life and my family's life to relocate to Las Vegas 21 years ago usually goes from that line about God interrupting my life to a moment in my living room with Luke chapter 4, hearing this word from the Lord, seeing this stuff in Jesus that wasn't in me, this passion for cities and the kingdom of God. And it leads to my wife and I kneeling down in our living room in Memphis, Tennessee and surrendering, putting a yes on the table, not yet knowing what the question was and having no idea that a couple of weeks later, Pastor Johnny Hunt at Woodstock, Georgia would invite us in on a journey to come to Las Vegas, Nevada and start a new church, be involved in God's activity of birthing what would become Hope Church. I've told that story literally thousands and thousands of times around the country and around the world. But it wasn't until this week I was reflecting on that story that I've told over and over and over and over and over again that I thought about a word in the sentence I used, that God interrupted my life. And I thought, you know, after 21 years, I might ought to look that word up and make sure I'm using the right word. So I did that. I looked up the word interrupt in the dictionary, and here's what it says. To interfere in someone else's activity. Yep, that's the right word. You see, in 1999, I had a plan. My wife and I had a plan. We had a journey that we thought we were headed on. My plan in 1999 as I was serving as the senior associate pastor with my dad was that we'd probably be the next pastor of that church that he pastored for 20 years. And we would lead that church in Memphis, Tennessee to continue to join in God's activity from there. We had a plan. But as I stand here today, over two decades later, His plan was better. There's a verse in Jeremiah that says literally that. The prophet Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a what? For me, that's literal. <laughs> As I read it this week, I thought, he literally gave me hope. 
Like, his plan was to allow us for two decades to walk in step with this faith family. So as I begin tonight sharing with you the things that God's put on my heart, let me just begin with this application. You can trust God's plan for your life. And you've heard me say this before, but I don't stand here and say that to you as a paid salesman. I stand here and say that to you as a satisfied customer. God's plan is good. And maybe you're here today and you're sitting on the brink of a decision, a direction that you're praying through, seeking from the Lord, and there's all the fear and all the unrest about what's in front of you. Let me just give you some encouragement from somebody who's looking back over 21 years of following his plan to say, you can trust his plan. It probably won't be your plan, but his plan is better. It is infinitely better. And as I thought and prayed this week about what I was going to share with you, and really, it's been over the last several weeks, and because of the way we rolled this out, we've had several moments along the way where we've kind of celebrated this, this moment that we knew was coming. So I've had a lot of time to think about and to pray about exactly what I would share with you this weekend. And as I stand here before you tonight, there is literally only one word that describes where I am, and here is the word. It is the word grateful. I'm just very, very grateful. Church planting is kind of in vogue now. It's kind of the thing. If you're in ministry circles, church planting is a buzzword. I got some pastor friends. I, when I walked in, some of your Hayden's here. One of my sons in the ministry, a guy that's planted here in Vegas. And then Pastor Judd, to see you here from Central. Man, it just means the world that you'd be here. But, but if you live in the circles we live in, uh, church planting is a, is, a, is a hot topic. It's a buzzword. It's something that everybody's talking about. But let me just say this. 21 years ago, it was not. Like, it wasn't cool 21 years ago. It wasn't the end thing to do. But man, as I stand here, I am so grateful for what God allowed us to be a part of and will continue to allow us to be a part of. That's the beauty of this transition that's happening is, like, my role is changing, but this is still my people. Like, this is my family. This is our church. This is where we get to be sent out of. But as I thought about what I wanted to share with you, I just, man, I've been surveying the scriptures, and man, I landed on a passage of scripture. If you got your Bible, open it to 1 Thessalonians. There's a passage of scripture that I've been living in a lot over the past few weeks that expresses the gratitude that is in my heart. Now, contextually, it's written by Paul, but it's written by Paul to a church that he planted 
It was a church that he planted, that he served for a season, and then he moved on and raised up leaders to lead that fellowship. And now this letter is Paul writing back to the church at Thessalonica, and he's reflecting on his journey with them. He's reflecting on the the leadership that he enjoyed with them. And Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica, but I literally, as I read it over and over, I feel like I could have written these words directly to you. So I want you to hear these words from the heart of the Apostle Paul, but I want you to hear them from my heart. And I'm going to do this a little different. Normally, I read a passage of Scripture, and you know how we do this. Normally, I read a passage of Scripture, and then we just dive deep into it. I'm going to read a little bit, dive into it, read a little more. We're just going to kind of walk through a big section of Scripture that if you're a regular part of Hope, it would normally take us probably six months to cover what I'm about to read. Uh, But we're going to walk through this as an overview and... To be honest, I told Travis before, I always am prepared to preach God, God's word, but man, with what God's put in my heart tonight, I'm prepared, but I'm unprepared. Like I, I, I usually have a good idea of how long this is going to be, how long it's going to last. I really don't know. So I just know I got to have you out by 8.30 Sunday morning <clears throat> because that's when the next service starts. And so as long as we're done by then, we're good, Okay. I got plenty of time between now and then to shave it down if I need to. So you're going to get the full dose. 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to start right there. And what I want to do is I want to give you six reasons tonight why I stand here grateful. And those two verses unpack the first of those six reasons. And here it is. I am grateful to God for you. I am grateful to God for you. Paul opened this letter by saying, we give thanks to God always for all of you. That word all is a word that means the whole. I'm grateful for all of you, the whole. When I think about Hope Church and who you are and who Jesus has made you to be, I thank God for you. But the word the word here for all is a Greek word that not only means all the whole, it means all, every individual one. I'm not just thankful for the whole of Hope Church. As I look around the room, I see story after story of lives that have been changed and families that have been reconciled and people that have been rescued and bodies that have been healed. And I'm thankful for each and every one of your stories. When you think about gratitude, if you look up the word gratitude in the dictionary, it's defined as a feeling of being thankful. Some call it a positive emotion, but but for the follower of Jesus, gratitude is more than an emotion. It is a, a feeling of being thankful, but it's a feeling, it's an emotion that produces action. It produces thanksgiving to God. That's why Paul said, man, I give thanks to God for you. I give thanks to God. And the way he said it, it was a continuous 
giving of thanks. It wasn't like just occasionally. No, he was just constantly, every time he thought about them, he was giving thanks for them. And the language that he uses is thick. Man, he says, I'm doing it always, which means at all times. I'm doing it constantly, which means without ceasing. Here's what Paul was saying. You are a constant source of thanksgiving to God in my life. And I'm just saying to you on behalf of my wife and I, you are a constant source of thanksgiving to God in our lives. We thank God for you. And then Paul tells us why he was so thankful for them. And it so reflects who you are. Look what he says. Verse 2, he said, I'm remembering. It means I'm thinking back. I'm looking back. I'm remembering before God, and he says three things. Your work of faith, that's their dependence on God. The, the work of faith, where you have stepped out in faith, you have labored in faith, you've trusted God when it made sense, and you've trusted God when it didn't make sense. Paul said, man, I thank God for your work of faith. And when I thought about you, I thought about all the times that I've stood in front of you and asked you to do what was impossible. Ask you to do what didn't make sense. Ask you to do that which caused you to sacrifice. And you just said yes and stepped out in faith. He was thankful for their work of faith. He was thankful for, I love this, their labor of love. I love putting those two words together, labor and love. What's he describing? He's describing you're living out of the overflow of an intimate love relationship with Jesus. It's a labor that's born out of love for Christ. And it reminded me of that verse that we've looked at over and over and over again throughout the years at Hope Church out of John chapter 14, verse 15. What does it say? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. Now, what have I taught you? That most of the time we read that verse and here's what we say. We, we, we hear Jesus saying, if you love me, you better keep my commandments. But that's not what he said. Here's what he said. If you love me, <laughs> you'll keep my commandments. Emphasis not on keeping my commandments, emphasis on loving me. And out of the overflow of intimacy with God is born this labor, this life, this, this, this lifestyle. Paul said, man, when I think about you, I'm thankful for your labor of love. And he said, I'm thankful for your steadfastness of hope, your unwavering expectation in Jesus. D. Michael Martin said this about this phrase Paul uses. He said, thus Paul gave thanks for a faith that was shown to be real by the evidence visible in the lives of the believers. And let me just say about you, I am so thankful to God for the way you follow Jesus. The way you follow Jesus has forever changed my life and the life of my family. I mean that. Here's a story you've never heard me tell. My son Caleb was our first we sent off to college to leave home. Those of you who have been through that, you know what a traumatic, nobody prepares you for how hard that is, right? You send them off to college and you look in their room, it's like they died or something. It just feels weird. Caleb goes off to Tennessee to college, goes back to the Bible Belt, and we moved our kids out here to Las Vegas when they were young. Caleb was five years old when we moved out here. Caleb goes back to school there, and we encourage him. We go there and visit with him, take him to some churches, try to get him connected in the church. And after the first year, Caleb called and said, if it's all right with y'all, I'd really like to come back. And here was one of the motivating factors. He said, Dad, I've been to church after church here, and 
He said, they say the same words we say, and they sing the same, sing the same songs, but there's just something different about what God's done at Hope. And what he meant was my son had never seen cultural Christianity. You see, where we come from, a whole lot of people go to church because it's what you do on Sunday. It's just the thing to do. So when you go to church on a Sunday in the Bible Belt, half the people are there because Jesus is alive and they've come to worship him, and the other half are there because it's what you got to do on Sunday. And so there's just a different vibe in the service. And what I love about this fellowship is, man, when you come here on a Sunday and you gather here on a Thursday night or the weekend and you're in one of our services, everybody who's here is here because they either know Jesus and love Jesus and want to worship Jesus or they're genuinely asking the question, is Jesus the one that can change my life? There's nobody in Las Vegas that feels social pressure to have to go to church. Like, if anything, it's just the opposite, right? As I've traveled the country and around the world, people always ask me the question, what is Christianity like in a place like Las Vegas? You know what I say? I say it's like Christianity in the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. I'll give you two words. Number one, it's messy. Some of us have been reading our Bible so long, we don't realize how messy some of this stuff is. Just read 1 Corinthians with your church goggles off. It's a mess. They're suing each other. Some guy's sleeping with his father's wife. They're divorcing each other. It's a mess. When you see people come to Christ, that many of them first-generation Christians, it's messy. One of my favorite stories at Hope happened years ago. We were early on in the life of our church, and we were baptizing. And it was actually, we'd, we'd just moved. No, it was about, I guess it was about 2012. we just moved in the building over here uh, in the other campus. And, and we were baptizing outside and playing it on the screens inside. And it was at the end of a service. And I'm out baptizing this lady, this elderly lady who lived a hard Las Vegas life and come to Christ. I'll let you figure out what that means. But she lived a hard Las Vegas life, comes to Christ. I'm baptizing her on the screen. I said, ma'am, is it your testimony that you've come to know Christ? And she said, hell yes. <laughs> and I just got her underwater as quick as I could before she could say anything else. But here's the deal. That was her hallelujah. Like, she didn't know any better. She'd just come. She'd found Jesus. Jesus had changed her life. He'd rescued her out of darkness. He'd brought her into the light. I tell that story back east, and they're like, he just said hell in church. Is that okay? I'm like, it's in the Bible. But it's messy. Right, pastors? It's, it's messy in Vegas. Like, when you come to Christ in Vegas, you don't know the box of what you're supposed to do and not do. Like, it's just, it's messy. But let me tell you what else it is. It's just pure. It's just pure. As I stand here tonight, I am so grateful to you. And listen, I want you to know this. I mean this. You, you've helped raise me and you've helped to disciple me. I came here when I was a 28-year-old kid. Like, I didn't have a clue what I was doing here. You literally helped raise me and you helped disciple me. I am a better follower of Jesus. 
I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better friend, and I'm a better neighbor because of you. I'm grateful to God for you. It's the second reason that I'm grateful tonight. I am grateful for God's presence among you. Look at verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction. Here's what Paul is saying in those words. He's saying when we gathered together, it was not just the sharing of some words and some sentimental moments. When we gathered together, we experienced God move among us. And I'm just telling you, as I stand here today, I am so grateful that this is a place where when we gather, we experience God moving in power among us. I don't know about you. I don't want to go to church to go to church. I want to go to church to meet with God. I don't want to go to church to see a stage show. I want to go to church to meet with God. And I thought back this week over the years. I thought back to all the moments just where we just experienced God together. One of the very first ones, most of you, again, never heard this story. We're in our living room. We're, we're still meeting there. You, you'll remember this, Christy. We're in our living room, and uh, we'd been meeting in our house for about three months. There's about 80 people meeting in our house, and we didn't have a big house. And Christy was starting to look at me like, uh, you think it's time to get out of the house? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably a good idea. We would literally, when we would meet on Sunday nights, we would take all of our furniture, put it in the backyard, put out folding chairs, and then when the service was over, we'd pack the chairs up and bring all of our furniture back in from the backyard. Uh, and we just knew it was time. And we had a guy in our church at that time, he's now in heaven, named Lowell Thomas. Lowell, Ned, and a chip, you remember them, first family we met. We moved to Las Vegas. We see young kids moving out here to plant this church. We're going to reach all these young kids. And the first family God gave us, a man and his wife is 75 years old. <laughs> Lowell, Ned, and bought in. We're sitting in our living room, and I'd shared the vision of what I thought God had put in my heart. And Lowell thought we were crazy. Like, he literally thought we were crazy. But we're sitting in our living room, and I said, man, I think we need to pray for God to give us a place to meet. And I'll never forget when Lowell prayed. Man, the presence of God filled the room. He didn't know how to really, like he didn't have prayer words. <laughs> he just said, God, I remember when these young kids from the south <laughs> told me what you were going to do in this city, and I thought they were crazy. But, Lord, I'm sitting here in a living room that is packed with people, and you're starting to do it. And he said, God, if you only do half of what he said, it's going to be awesome. So, God, we're coming after you. That's literally what he prayed. And I'm telling you, 
I don't think the house shook, but it felt like it did. Like the presence of God, we just had moment after, and that was right in the beginning. I think back to Easter of 2006, man, the first time we did spontaneous baptism, saw 169 people baptized August of 2012. We move in that building and then get flooded over there. Man, it feels like a catastrophe. And the five weeks after the flood, 200 people come to faith in Jesus Christ because we got so much publicity on the news because of a flood, lost people flocked to the church. It was amazing. 2014, some of you remember this, we had a Monday night service where literally there was standing room only, packed out in the lobby, David Platt preached, service went about three hours, nobody wanted to leave, the glory of God just sat down on the building. 2015, we had a series called When God Moves, and we just saw God move in power. Later that year, the Charleston shooting happened, and we did a combined service with Victory Missionary Baptist Church, and Dr. Robert Fowler, God bless his soul, he's in heaven now. And man, the glory of God moved in that service, and over and over and over again, we've just seen God move in power. My prayer for this fellowship has always been that we'd be known in this city, not as the church with the best preaching, not as the church with the best music, not as the church with the best kids ministry or youth ministry or next generation ministry, but we'd be known, man, if you need to meet with God, that's where you need to go. And I want to remind you of something. There's a link that God established in his sovereignty between his moving in power and the desperate prayers of his people. So let me remind you of something we say here often. When we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And when we don't, we don't. That's why Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of preaching. No. My house shall be called a house of worship. No. And notice what he said. My house, say this out loud, shall. Here's what that means. Here's what other people say about my house. Here's what the city of Las Vegas, I don't know much, but here's what I know. Those are people who talk to God. They pray. They meet with God. Unless we pursue him in prayer, we will not experience him in power. And I stand here today grateful because you're a people that desperately seek God in prayer and we experience God's power among us. Was it three weeks ago, four weeks ago, before I even preached? I walked up here and the Spirit of God was moving in such power before I even preached. Just ask, who wants to be saved? We saw over 100 people come to faith in Christ. Hadn't even preached a sermon yet. How dare them? <laughs> like, don't they know I worked on that sermon? God needed to use me. <laughs> Number three. I'm grateful for the example you are to others. Look at verse six. He says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you have received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Man, I thought about our journey over 21 years and thought, man, that is true. 
We have received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We've had some high highs, but we've had some low lows. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The word example is a word in the Greek language that means a pattern to follow. It's a model. Paul says about the church at Thessalonica that they'd become a model in their region, Macedonia and Achaia. For us, that would be Las Vegas and the western United States. I, I, I don't often tell you this because I don't want you to think you're more than you are, but there are churches in this city and there are churches all over the western United States who are following in the tracks that you've laid down faithfully following Jesus. You've become an example. I was in two churches this last week across the country that literally mimic and model a lot of what we do here at Hope Church, and I had no idea. I didn't know they were even following what we were doing. The text says that it sounded forth. It means to ring out everywhere in every place. As I go, everywhere I go, people are inspired and encouraged by your example. People speak to me about the, the example of your faith and your testimony. I was at a conference this week speaking in North Alabama, and person after person after person came up to me there and just talked about how God has used your testimony and your faithfulness to impact and change their lives. In preparation for this last weekend, in the last 24 hours, I've received messages in the last 24 hours from California, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, New York, Ohio, Mexico, and India, all leaning in, celebrating with what God's doing here this weekend. How does that, here's how that's possible, because you've become an example. Your faith is an inspiration to so many, and you don't even realize it. There are many ways you're an example. Let me give you one. I could mention a lot, but I'm just going to mention one. And it's the example of your unity. When I look around this room, let me tell you what I see. I see the kingdom of God. Black and white and brown. Republican and Democrat. American and immigrant. Cultures. And countries, we know of 54 first languages spoken in our fellowship. So many things that could divide us. But what unites us in Christ is greater than that which divides us. Today, you are an example of what a watching world needs to see about the power of the gospel in reconciling. Yes, the gospel reconciles us to God. Yes, there is a vertical application of the gospel that reconciles us to our Father in heaven. But when we've been rightly reconciled to God, the first obvious evidence is that we get rightly reconciled horizontally with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what divides us dissolves and what unites us in Christ brings us together. And you're an example to the watching world. And let me tell you why it's so important. 
Demographers tell us by 2043, there'll be no majority population left in America, meaning that every cultural representation in America will be below 50% of the population. Which means this, if there's going to be a key to reaching our own nation in the generations to come, it's going to be churches that look just like this. And you are pioneers paving a spiritual path for those to come behind you to learn what it looks like to differ on some things that are important, but to come together on that which is most important, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I stand here today grateful because you're an example to others. Number four, I'm grateful for the way you receive the whole counsel of God. 1 Thessalonians, if you get down into chapter 2, pick it up in verse 4, listen to what he says. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Skip down to verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let me tell you what I love about you. Why well, I'm grateful to God for you. You are a people of the book. You are a people who are willing to say, what does the book say? And if that's what the book says, then we're in. Man, for 21 years, we have tried to be a people that followed this book. For 21 years, we have given ourselves to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our team here at Hope that I've had the privilege to lead has now preached completely through or through large portions of 15 different books of the Bible. We began together in, 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 in 2001, and we spent the first five years just going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. It took us five years to finish. Some people used to date when they joined Hope, Hope Church by what chapter we were in in the Gospel of John. Just marching verse by verse through that gospel. Since then, we, we, we've spent time in, in different books of the Bible, in the Old and New Testament. We even did a 12-week series with an overview of the whole Bible. You are a people of the book. You love the Word of God when it's comfortable and when it's uncomfortable, when it's popular and when it's not popular, when it encourages you and when it calls you to sacrifice. You love the Word of God. Listen, there is no place on earth earth more fun to preach for me than Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Listen, a preacher who loves to preach the word loves it when the people love the word. And we got people that come from all over the world to preach here, and they all say, man, this is one of the greatest places I've ever preached because the people love the word of God. But with that, I want to give a challenge. And I want to speak specifically to the young men that God has raised up 
to carry the mantle from here in the teaching and preaching of God's word at Hope Church. Paul writes another letter. It's to a young man named Timothy, who Paul was entrusting leadership to. And here's the words of Paul to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is what he said, I charge you. And I charge these young men that I'm going to get to walk with and I'm going to get to be a part of the team and follow their leadership. But today, like Paul, in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. I love that line. Here's why it says that, because they ain't going to get it the first time. They ain't going to get it the second time. Rick Warren told me one time, Vance, your people hadn't heard it until you're sick of saying it. You just got to say it over and over and over. Paul says, man, preach the word, but you got to do it with great patience. Listen to what he says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Here's my challenge. Preach the word. Listen, what matters is not my opinion or your opinion. What matters is not what I think or what you think. What matters is what does this book say? Because the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and does a transformation in the people of God so that through them the mission of God may be accomplished for the glory of God among the peoples of the earth. We will not be the people God wants us to be without the preaching of the Word of God. And today I stand grateful because you are a people who receive the Word of God. Here's number five. I'm grateful for your passion for God's kingdom. Look at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Paul says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. There's a building in those words. He says, we exhorted. It's a word that means to come alongside and encourage. Then he said, man, we encourage. It means to, to cheer you on with passion. And then he says, we charge you it's a plea it's a passionate exhortation what did he charge them and encourage them to do to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory here's what Paul's saying Paul is thankful that this was a people that were passionate about the kingdom of God. Did you know there are over 100 references in 16 different books of the New Testament to the kingdom of God? I would submit to you tonight, if God says something one time in the Bible, it's important. If he says it 100 times in 16 different books of the New Testament, we better pay attention to what he's got to say about it. And that subject is the kingdom of God. I know for some of you, you think, Pastor Vance, all you talk about is the kingdom of God. <laughs> well, I got it from Paul. 
And Paul got it from Jesus. So that's good company. Paul and Jesus, all they talk about is the kingdom of God. At Hope Church, you are a people who are passionate about the kingdom. Let me give you a definition of the kingdom one last time. It is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. The kingdom of God is the big picture of what God is doing in the world. And hear me, when God birthed Hope Church, he had the nations on his heart. It was never just about us. We got a team right now serving on the other side of the world in a country that is predominantly Muslim and is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And right now we got boots on the ground, tilling up that soil for a gospel movement in that part of the world. Why? Because when God birthed our church, he had that nation on his heart. It was never just about us. Listen, we are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than in any other single moment in human history. And don't miss this. God birthed our church for such a time as this. Not to sit in Las Vegas and be content with who we are, but to join in his activity. God birthed our church to join in his kingdom work in Las Vegas. When the kingdom of God expands in our city, it means more than more people go to church. It means the city becomes a better place to live. That's why we've rolled up our sleeves in areas like homelessness and the fight against human trafficking and foster care. Why? Because we want to see the kingdom of God expand in Las Vegas. We want to see the kingdom expand in the western United States by multiplying churches to reach 1% of the western United States with the gospel. And we want to see the world impacted for the glory and honor of God, which is why when we were three months old we sent our first mission team and this year 30 plus teams will serve in every corner of the globe joining in the activity of God and I stand here today grateful because like the early church you are a people who is passionate about the kingdom of God and let me say this by way of challenge again God has blessed us as a fellowship because we've sought first his kingdom but hear me carefully he is not obligated to continue to bless us unless we continue to seek first his kingdom. But the promise is if we do that, he will take care of everything else. Here's the sixth and final reason out of this text that I'm grateful tonight. I am grateful that I will get to spend eternity with you. Listen. Listen what Paul said in verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope? Or joy? Or crown of boasting before our Lord? Jesus at his coming, Paul said, Man, what's our what's our joy? What's our hope? What's our what's our crown of boasting when he comes? Listen to what he said. Is it not you? For you are our glory. And you are our joy. I get to stand here tonight on behalf of my family, but I want to say it on behalf of my wife, Christy, and my kids. We thank God for you. 
And we are grateful to God that not only do we get to enjoy his presence together here, but when he comes again for all eternity, we will get to enjoy his presence together. Grateful. I am very, very grateful. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Just a moment. Our team is going to come and we're going to sing a final song of worship. And we have some pastors that are going to be down here at the front. If you need to come get in this altar and pray about something God's doing on your heart. If you need to come pray with a pastor. Or if you're somebody here tonight who doesn't have a relationship with God. Maybe you've stumbled into a church on a Thursday night. Had no idea what was going on. And I want you to know something greatest thing you can hear me say tonight is that this church can't change you, this preacher can't change you, but Jesus can. Jesus can take wherever you are and turn your life around and give you purpose and meaning and significance and value. All you gotta do is come to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus tonight and you'd like to know him, you come to one of these pastors while we're singing and just say, I need Jesus. And they'll have somebody sit down and show you how you can become a follower of Jesus. But there's three final verses of this passage that I want to read as a prayer over you before we stand and pray and worship together in song. And I don't think I could have written a prayer with my own hands that would more articulate the words of my heart for you than this prayer that Paul wrote in verse 11, 12, and 13. Here's what he said. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. God, tonight I am grateful. Have your way in this moment of worship. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Let's stand together. Our team's going to leave. You respond as God speaks to you.